Hey, it's Brian. Looking for your dream job in the sport industry? Have you ever imagined yourself as an athletics administrator, a game day event coordinator, or perhaps a general manager? You can be an all-star in any organization with a degree from East Stroudsburg University's COSMA accredited sport management program. Earn your undergraduate and graduate degrees with guidance from our experienced faculty, gain hands-on skills, meet industry professionals, and become part of a winning team. ESU has the only COSMA accredited graduate program in Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. For more information, visit esu.edu slash smgt. One more time, esu.edu slash smgt. East Stroudsburg University, where warriors belong. Ooh, I like that. All right, let's start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. This episode is about expansion. We in the sports industry so often put on our blinders and only think about sports. We tell ourselves it is so different than everything else out there. We are unique. Truth is, in some places we are. In others, we're actually quite typical. A scout, a coach, an athletic trainer, sure, these are careers you only find in sports. But the vast majority of opportunities out there are bound by the same business and economic restrictions as every other industry. Finance, event management, operations, marketing, human resources, public relations, sales. These are all common roles in sports and in every other industry in the world. So we're taking off the blinders today and speaking with someone, clutch your pearls, outside of sports. <gasps> Fawn Germer is a nine-time author, including multiple bestsellers and the book Hard Won Wisdom, which Oprah herself recommends. And even if in sports, Oprah recommends doesn't carry quite as much weight as, say, I don't know, Chris Berman recommends, it's still pretty amazing. She's also been nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in investigative journalism four times. That's dope. Yes, I just said that's dope. Her latest book is titled Coming Back, How to Find the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need, and is really, really good. We're talking actionable, career-focused content right now with Fawn Germer. Hey, Fawn, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you, Brian? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you. And I can always get a vibe when I start these conversations. Before we ever hit record and I just talk to the guests a little bit, you can always get a vibe whether you're going to hit it off with somebody. So I'm really excited about this conversation because you've got a lot of energy and a lot of information to share that we're going to dig into today. So thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. So there's a, there's a big tactical discussion we can have about the nuts and bolts of getting hired and what's happening in the world right now, how our, how our audience can thrive in this messed up environment of our modern day world. Um, but there's also broader strategies and mindset that I think you are really attuned to and I want to make sure we get into. So let's start there if you're okay with that. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. So I like you speak a lot to entrepreneurs and executives. And one thing that always sticks out to me, because I'm always looking for those trends and patterns, like what makes them unique and different and better or whatever, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. Um, they have a wholehearted 
belief in themselves and their vision, and it's almost impenetrable. And I always admire that. They see how things should work rather than go after them fearlessly, rather than seeing all the things that could go wrong. Why don't more of us embody that attitude? Like, what is it that holds us back? Well, it's a choice and you grow into it. I'm sure there are some real daredevils. I have a friend whose son was doing things on skis at the age of eight that I would never do ever in my life. But so he's pretty fearless from the get go. But I grew into it, learning that the more you do things that make you uncomfortable, the easier it is to do things that make you uncomfortable. And that your greatest success is always going to come when you take a risk and you potentially could fail. A lot of people are so afraid of failing that they don't try. And on my 50th birthday, it was that I did what every red-blooded 50-year-old does, which is I, I got a Groupon and I went skydiving. <laughs> and so and I'm, I'm in this really crappy airplane and it's flying over central Florida and it's so rickety. And, and the guy had said, okay, when the time comes, I'm going to give you a signal and then you're going to come and scoot between my legs and I'm going to hook you to me. And then we're going to um, go scoot out on the wing and then I'm, I'm going to tap your shoulder, give me the okay sign and then we're going. And oh no, I think the tap the shoulder was when I was still in the plane. So, you know, it was fine. And, and I'm up there and I'm so amped up. I'm so excited about life that I come up with this mantra that I'm never going to let go of. And it is. I will dive fearlessly into this and every moment of my life. I will dive fearlessly into this and every moment of my life. So I'm up there I will and I'm just so happy. And so the time comes and he gives me the signal. And I scoop between his legs and he clips me to him. And then he taps my shoulder and I turn to give him the okay sign. And it smells like he has just consumed a fifth of Jack Daniels. <laughs> and I'm like, and I think, Okay, um, God, if this is what you have in mind for how I'm supposed to die, <laughs> okay, because it beats, my mother had a critical illness for 20 years, so it beats doing it that way, but I will dive fearlessly into this in every moment for the rest of my life. And so we went, it was a blast, I survived, I did leave a negative Yelp review because I Obviously, the guy should never have been up there with me. But I always think of that when I get scared of something, because the worst thing that can happen is you die. So just if you have a vision, it's not going to kill you. And yeah, there will be things you try that don't work. And you learn from that. It just pushes you that much closer to the thing that does work. So that's what these people have with that single-minded focus and we can develop that for ourselves but what it entails is a choice to say i'm going to be fearless so that's what stands out to me when i talk to executives and and people of a higher stature entrepreneurs especially what stands out to you as you've gone through a lot of these conversations there's certain traits that you picked up on from the people that you've interviewed over your career that makes them kind of special in a way and stand out as some sort of specialized trait or attitude well, there's certain things. I think that, and, and particularly I've interviewed a lot of trailblazing women and I, the, the self-esteem issues are rampant no matter where people are. It's just a big thing. And a lot of guys have it too, but 
it's safe to say that if I talk in a room full of women about that, they will immediately latch onto that. And what happens with successful people is that they just keep going and ignore it. They may have the doubts, but they don't listen. So that's one. The other thing is that they all are willing to take a risk because risk is the only way to test your potential. So most people that are reluctant to take risks don't want to fail. And I just say fail because if you don't fail some, you're nowhere near your limits ever. And so risk is where you test your obstacles or, or your ability to, to, to deal with obstacles and get beyond them and keep going. And that's the other thing is obstacles. They just see them one after another and expect that there will be obstacles and figure it out. So I quit my job to write my first book because they all kept talking about risk taking and it was so inspiring. So I quit my job to write it because I had this idea that I was going to do my interviews and then write my proposal and there would be this auction for my book and it would sell for <laughs> high six figures, maybe seven. And then I'd How'd that work the, out for you. Right, yeah, I'd write the book <laughs> and then Oprah would just call me in the middle of the night and say, oh my God, it's the best thing I ever wrote. And uh -huh. I'm flying you up. And then she'd like me so much, I'd get invited to her condo for dinner with her and Stedman and Gail. And I always tell people, by all means, have a plan for your success. It is the greatest piece of fiction you will ever write. <laughs> so I quit my job to write it and it got rejected by every major publisher in the United States. And that is what these great leaders did. And that is what I have learned is that it's the obstacles that define you. Because if you go to my office and you pull out that file with all those rejection letters, it would be very clear my dream was never going to happen. And yet it did. Mm -hmm. because you just have to keep moving forward. And so I had my obstacles and I kept focused on what was next and what was next. And even when I started to lose faith in myself, a friend said to me, how is anyone going to have faith in your product if you've lost faith in you? And I realized it's on me. So you just kind of put on the blinders and when you get an obstacle, you keep going. So I, I finally mm -hmm. figured out the problem with the book. I sold it. I, I did have an auction, didn't get the high six figures, but I, I, I had a decent book advance. And then first copy of the book came in. It was September 10th, 2001. So of course, 9-11 was the next day. Uh. My book tour got canceled and I, I had to fight through that. And I found that, and, and this is really relevant to what's going on right now, that in a moment when everyone else is giving up, you can find your greatest opportunity to succeed. Mm -hmm. And it may sound like I'm giving some old, you know, inspirational, motivational crap, but I only say something if I've lived it. Yeah. And that's the truth. So that right now is a moment where people are frustrated. They don't think there's opportunity. And that's okay because there is no opportunity for a large amount of people but some people will find great opportunity and you just have to make up your mind to be one of them. Yeah, I know. I like the idea that it's a choice. I think you and I share a lot of similar philosophies in that, you know, we all control our own steering wheel, right? We all get to determine which way we're going to yeah, turn the car and go. And I, and I, thanks. I just, that just came to me off the top of my head. I didn't that's even, good. That, yeah, I like thank it. you. I should write that down. Um, no, but seriously, like, I feel like there's a lot of mentality out there where people look for things to blame, like 
this didn't happen because of this external factor or this thing happened or that thing happened. Whereas really those people that find success don't let that noise distract them. They just kind of push through it and, and, you know, go whatever direction they need to go. And that's just a, it's a mindset that so many people cannot adopt. And I get it. It's hard, but it's necessary, right? I tell people, look for explanations, explanations, not excuses. Yeah. Because you learn if something that you did or something somebody else did causes some sort of a challenge or negative thing, you learn what to do next time. But you don't use it as an excuse to say, well, if this is... Well, if this hadn't happened, I would be, well, right. you know, it's like life. Life happens. Yeah. Yeah. There will always be obstacles. Everybody has a story. And it, it's not an excuse. No, no. Right. So, okay, I like this conversation on obstacles because I read in your bio where you said, and I want to go into some depth here. You said life is all about our obstacles, right? We know that. We've been talking about that. They hold our greatest opportunities for success and growth. And we're a, Completely in agreement. And then you had one extra little phrase there where you said, but we ha- we do have to earn them. What right. do you mean by that? Go into greater depth there. What do you mean by earning your obstacles? And well, how does that lead to, how does that all tie into success and growth? Well, I think that we earn our obstacles every time we make a decision on whether we're going forward or not. And that things are going to be thrown our way that either are roadblocks or open doors. And that's how we earn them is by finding our way to blast through them and, and blast past them. And for people who see obstacles and stop, what I'm saying makes no sense to them. But for people who get through them, they understand it perfectly well is that something happens and it's actually very possible it's a good thing, even though it looks like a disaster. So that's what we earn. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense when you put it that way. It's like if you're not putting yourself out there, nothing's happening to you either. If you're just staying right. in the safe the safe part of the pool, you know, you're only sitting in the in the kitty side, nothing dramatic's going to happen, nothing extreme's going to happen, nothing great's going to happen, nothing terrible's going to happen. You're just right down the middle. And that right. can and, be And I have to say, yeah. For some people there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 a big big work-life balance speaker and for people who decide to stay out of the fray and they they don't want the stress or aggravation of risk and obstacles and yeah. all of that and they find they find their rut and it works for them if they're happy i i don't ever judge that i hate when people say she could have done so much more he had so much talent but never achieved it as long as you're happy yeah. If it feels like something's unfinished, then you have to take some action. But if if your rut is serving you well, then it's a good rut. Yeah, you know what? That's a really good distinction because we all define success differently, right? Yeah. For some people, they need to be on a billboard somewhere or high in focus and everybody knows their name and they're famous or whatever. Other people are like, my work makes me enough money to be around my kids and to put me in a position where I can be happy and go do other things that interest me. We're all very different. And that individuality needs to be embraced. And, you know, honestly, I've done really well with my career, but if I had worked 20% harder, I probably would have made 50% more money, but I thought I've made really good money and I really love kayaking and cycling and, and all of the fun stuff in my world and I want a full balanced life with people that I love and time 
time has always meant more to me than money. So it doesn't mean I haven't achieved a lot. I know I've done a lot, but mm. I know I also could have done more if that was all that mattered to me. And it never was all that mattered to me. Yeah, I like the concept very much of a balanced life. I know that I had times early in my career when I was at CNN or Fox Sports Northwest where I was working 70 hours a week. And that affected every other part of my life. And I hit a point where I was like, well, no, this isn't what I actually define myself for success. This role or this position isn't what makes me. And so I had to make choices in my life, too. And that gets back to our earlier point. Yeah. It's about your choices that fit and matter for you. Yeah, it's oh. not about balance. It's always about choices. I love that. No, that's great. Uh, so let's talk about confidence, because confidence is not a constant thing. Uh, I've had periods in my life, everybody listening has periods in their life where they felt on top of the world, indestructible, nothing can defeat them. You're in the zone, you can take on anything. And then we have, yeah, exactly. We, then we have other moments where it feels like everything is going wrong, life happens, we get damaged, uh, you know, the world's coming down on us, and you start to, your psyche right. just doesn't feel as impenetrable. And right now, that's a reality for a lot of people. Some people had a job, they love their job, now it's gone. They, the spiral starts to take over, right? They read unemployment numbers, they're seeing in the newspaper, this thing's going wrong, they hear competition is high for jobs, they're never gonna get back out there, the bills start to pile up, it all starts to spiral on them. And they go from being a confident person to somebody feeling a little bit more shattered, right? And it's not enough for people like you and me to say, hey, this too shall pass, just ride it out. Like, what, what should they be focusing on right now if they're feeling that desperation, if they're feeling that crisis of confidence to say, all right, how am I going to get through this moment? What can I do? Do people ever say four-letter words on your podcast? Sure, go ahead. There's a limit. It has to be less All than right. five times per show. But you know what? Honestly, All if right, you break times. that limit, I am down with it. I want right. Fawn, Fawn, I want Here's you to break my the mantra. limit on swearing. <laughs> okay, because what you say matters. So this yeah. is what I want you to tell yourself when you're going through it. You ready? Yeah, The I'm wisest ready. wisdom I'm, I've got. Every shitstorm ends. Every <laughs> yep. shitstorm ends. Yep. Every shitstorm ends. Okay, there you go. Three. I've got to leave <laughs> myself for two on. more. Yeah. Okay. But the point of that being, over time you realize that every time there's a crisis, you get past it or mm -hmm. you adapt. So then the other mantra is accept, cope, adapt. Okay, now if you're not sitting there with a piece of paper and a pen, go grab it because I'm going to yeah, say it now's again. Now's the time accept, cope, adapt. And yeah. I mentioned my mom had a critical illness and one day she was as healthy as I am right now and the next day she had a stroke that paralyzed her and then <sighs> 10 years later got Alzheimer's. And people, I don't depress people when I tell that story because I had the most intimate loving relationship with my mother throughout the full duration of her illness because I learned the faster I told myself accept, cope and adapt and repeated that until yeah. I did, the faster I could let go of what was and find joy with what is. So if you are in the middle of a shitstorm, yeah, uh, accept, cope and adapt. Do not immerse yourself in negative news and it can be a really hard thing to do to turn it off and tune it out. But I want you to know this is coming to you from an investigative reporter, somebody who was a news person from the age of 15. So for me to say, tune it out, it is so devastating to the psyche to read negative, negative, negative all the time. And if the people around you are also struggling, 
they are people you've got to put off to the side right now because that will help you define your reality as one of hardship and limited opportunity. Instead, you tell yourself, accept, cope, adapt. And then affirmations. Again, affirmations are the thing that people always think, oh God, repeat, oh, but gosh darn it, I like myself, and like the woo-woo <laughs> thing about yeah. it. But yep. again, I was an investigative reporter, okay? They called me names, they ran away from me. I'm a hard-bitten journalist. So for mm -hmm. me to tell you that these things work, trust that I have done the research on the, side, the science of it. And what it is, is that your brain is like a hard drive and you can write it and you can rewrite it. So what we tell ourselves is, oh, I'm fat. And if you keep saying I'm fat and I'm gaining weight, then you're fat and you keep gaining weight. But mm -hmm. if you say I eat slowly and enjoy my food, I'm losing weight. Even if you don't consciously start eating differently, you start losing weight. Mm -hmm. Well, in a time like this, you have to program your brain, even if it's not what you really believe at this time. So you write down things like, I've got this, I'm going to find a job quickly and easily. I am doing something every day to move myself toward my goal. And, and my book has a bunch of the, the affirmations yeah. that are, are made for this. But the thing is, when you start doing it, you say it 50 times a day to yourself. You write it down, you put it on the mirror in your bathroom so when you're getting ready, you see it. You keep repeating, repeating, repeating. And then the next week you do it 25 times a day. Now, 50 times a day takes a total of maybe 10 minutes a day total. Mm -hmm for saying something 50 times, okay? Yeah. Give yourself 10 affirmations, and then you do it 25 times a day for two weeks, and then 10 times a day for two weeks. And after that, if the negative creeps in, which it's been there longer than the positive, so it might, then you just start doing it again. Yeah. But you rewrite your brain so that it expects success and expects ease, and then that's what you create for yourself. There's a caveat. You have to be able to buy into it on some level so mm -hmm. that when I, I lost both my parents at uh, two, two months apart. So it was a horrible time. And I thought I was gonna write affirmations so I wouldn't have to deal with grief. So I wrote 10 great affirmations on how I'd moved on and gotten, I had to deal with my grief. Yeah. So some things are more powerful than an affirmation, mm -hmm. but by and large, what you tell yourself is what you expect. So if you expect trouble, you're going to find it. If you mm -hmm. expect it to get to be easy, it's gonna be a lot easier than if you're expecting trouble. If there will be obstacles. We always have obstacles, but tell yourself the right things. I'm getting through this. I always take the next step. I'm ready to do one more thing. I know I'm going to win. I always have this talent that was always there. And one more thing, because I don't want to give a monologue. You're so yeah, cool. Yeah, no, go. I love it. It's that... <laughs> We, we get in a situation like this and it's it's scary, but you have to remember it's not personal. Like right now, if you're hitting the wall, millions and millions of people are hitting the wall. And it's easy if you're getting rejected and rejected and rejected to think, oh my God, I must be a loser. I keep getting rejected. Everybody's in that. And, you know, I mean, if we get into what my book is saying, you know, don't mm -hmm. go, if you're applying for jobs, the online applications generally lead into a black hole. Sometimes they work, but it's your network. And I show you a path that you can make that work. It's work the things that are going to work. Jobs are often filled by people who say, hey, do you know anybody who can do such mm -hmm. and such? Or 
you really need to talk to Fawn Germer. <laughs> so it's, it's, you'll get through this. It's not personal. The yeah. negativity you feel is not about you. Now, there are things you can do to improve yourself so you have greater opportunities, but don't take it to heart and think that there's something wrong with you. There's not. I like very much the concept, too, of adapting. And I think you hit on that really well in there. But I think it's important for people to remember, like, when I first started in the business, um, there was no social media, right? That wasn't a thing. So you have to constantly be evolving and adapting and learning what's current, but also what's coming in the future and stay ahead of things. You can't just sit back and say magic will happen for me in a time like this, especially when people have lost jobs. Now's the time to really understand what your marketplace needs. What is it that's in demand? What are those skills that you could refine a little bit more? What are those things you could advance into? And if you adapt and shift that mentality along with the mantras, now you become a powerful force. Yeah. So of course I have to, let me see if I can do this without dropping my computer. Uh Oh, okay. (laughs) So time for shameless plugs. No, shameless plugs are good. Yeah. Um, but my book, Coming Back, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need. And that's the whole point of this book. They gave it that subhead so it sounds like it's all about hunting for a job. But actually what it is, we have to stay relevant whether we are mm-hmm. self-employed or employed. And so more than half the book looks at what we have to do so that we're current. And the reason people get chosen earlier to be laid off is because there is an assumption that they are of less value. And that's because of one issue and it's relevance. So I get people all the time, I've been loyal employee for 20 years or I have 30 years in this industry. You can't buy that. Why are they gonna keep a millennial over that? It's because with the technological changes that are so constant, They want someone who's current and someone who's going to drive them into the next five years. So if you've been somewhere for a long time and your salary is likely larger and higher than other people in the room, it better be something you can justify by saying you are prepared for what's happening in the next five and 10 years that you're on top of it. And so you always have to be studying the trends in your industry and social media is a big example of that, but also artificial intelligence, blockchain, big data, machine learning, all of these things are impacting our industries. And there's a study that Oxford did that said that in 10 years, 47% of the current jobs that are out there will be replaced by technology. I saw that. scared the crap out of me. (laughs) It doesn't mean that 47% of the people are going to be replaced. Right. It means the job. So you better figure out what job you're going to be able to do Mm -hmm. when technology can replace what you're doing now. So the good thing is you can do that. And it's it's not that hard. You go to places like edx.org. That's edx.org or Mm -hmm. coursera.org. C-O-R-E. O-U-R-S-E-R-A dot org. And then they have a wealth of free classes on everything. But focus on things that are dealing with the trends that are in your industry. And then, you know, you can study artificial intelligence from Harvard for free. For free. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the best thing, like I, the first one I ever took was a class in innovation from MIT. And I'm in there and it was so great. I mean, they had all the videos and everything. I just loved it. And 
being typical, I went into student mode and I started studying so I would be ready for the first test. And then it occurred to me, I don't need the credit. <laughs> I have my degrees. Yeah. I'm done. Right. This is just to be smarter. Right. right. I can flunk this class just right. fine. Nobody will know. Right. <laughs> I just need the information. No pressure. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like, so I started taking all these classes and getting from them what I need is so that when I'm talking to people, they know that I'm current. I can talk yeah. about these things. And really that's what we all need to do. We have to have something that shows we are in the game. And so we just have to get in the game. It's funny. So you make this point and, I, and I'm so on, on board with you, but I was thinking as you were talking that in sports, we so often exemplify exactly what you're saying. So a, a team will sign a player to a contract, not based on what they've done, but based on what they projected that they're going to do. Right. So when the Kansas right. City Chiefs signed Patrick Mahomes to a half a billion dollar contract, it's because they think he's going to be awesome over the next five to 10 years, not because, hey, here's your award for what you've already accomplished. Oh, right. And, and so many of us need to take that, that concept and apply it to our lives and say, wait, that's the attitude I should have. What am I bringing to the right. table, not what have I brought to the table? Nobody cares about your experience anymore. Right. And people, I'm really sorry because that sounds cold, but it's the truth. They don't want to hear it. And, yeah. and now, you know, the millennials did a very good job in the workplace and they're getting leadership positions and they're mm -hmm. hiring. So the last thing they want to hear is you saying, well, when I was at IBM 15 years ago, they don't care. <laughs> they so want to know what you're doing now. So and I find and myself it, doing it sometimes too. I'll talk about when I was at CNN or when I was at Fox Sports and I'm like, that should that should carry some weight. But it's like, it's not re really that relevant to anybody right well, now. Well, it carries weight with me. And what I, I get tripped up on, and see, I already did it in this interview, is that I had a whole career before I was an author and a speaker. Yeah. And... That was as a journalist. Remember I said I was an investigative reporter. Well, if they don't care, right? But it makes me better at what I do. Right. So I think what you do is you, you define yourself for now, then that's the bonus. Exactly. It's a, it's a part of your overall story, but it's not the only part. Yeah. It has to, you have to have more to it. So right. I, I really enjoy your book and I'll say it again, coming back, how to win the job you want when you've lost a job you need, because it focuses very much on actionable advice, which is what we always focus on here. It's like, I want people to listen and be able to do something. Like I want them to be right. able to take this advice and put it to work. Right. So that's what we talk about a lot on this show. And that's where your expertise is too. One of the segments you really hammered into, which I liked was on on networking and where the opportunities are right now. Like there's massive opportunities right now when it comes to networking because it doesn't have to be face to face at some conference or whatever. So much of it can happen socially. Oh, it's uh, how, so how, easy to network. Yeah, so, yeah. So get into that a little bit. How do you think somebody listening should approach networking in today's environment? All right. So I'll tell you a few things about networking. First being, if you're networking with me, it is more important that you know that, um, I love dogs and cats, right? <laughs> that um, I love Thursday night television. I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy. I am a passionate kayaker and I love cycling. Oh, and my sport is swimming. So you have to know, because you connect with me as a friend instead of saying, yeah. oh, she's written nine books and used to be a reporter, right? That it's, it's about making friendships. And then it's about leveraging friendships because having people in your network is worthless if you can't ask them for the help you need. 
So let me build up to right now saying uh, for during COVID, a lot of people think there's no way to network. This is the easiest networking I've ever done. Yeah. As soon as that lockdown happened, I sent an email out to 15 really highly placed women in my network. These are these are people you read about in the Wall Street Journal, and and they're they're, and you would never get them in the same room ever Mm -hmm. because you would have even if you wanted to do a zoom call with them you would spend two years trying to get a date and it still wouldn't happen but i said i'm gonna do a zoom call tuesday at 6 p.m i'd like to see some of you there send it to 15 people all 15 people showed up you know why because nobody was doing anything and you know what People still aren't doing much. Uh-huh. So what you do is you find out who's in your network. Now, if you feel like your network needs to grow, this is easy. So you get your mentor or somebody who's been helpful and say, hey, can we do a Zoom call? And then say, next week, can we do one where you invite your mentor? Mm. And then who else can we invite? And then you get those people to bring it. And then it just automatically ratchets up. The other thing is LinkedIn is such a powerful tool. So if you pick, 10 companies that you would like to have people in or get a job from or whatever and find some highly placed people in there. You add them into your network and when they post, comment on their posts. Mm-hmm. Don't send one of those self-serving emails that you get in mails. I hate them. I delete them. I don't read yeah. them. But wait until you've got some sort of a back and forth and they recognize your name and then send an email, oh, I really liked that thing you posted about blah, blah, blah. And then the next time you say, you know, I've been really interested in working at your company. Is there a way that we might be able to do a Zoom and coffee for 15 minutes? Yep. Sometimes people say no, but most of the time they say yes. Yep. So I always say, just keep asking until you get your yes. All right, <laughs> now when it's time to leverage your network, this is really important. Don't say, hey, do you know of anything? Can you send my resume? Because all they do is they forward your resume and they forget it. What you have to say is, there is a position opening in development with John Smith doing the hiring. Can you talk to John Smith about me and then ask him if he would do a Zoom call with me? Ask for, and, and you know, the thing you put in the header on your email is this personal favor you can't do it more than once every several years okay but when you lay it out like that people will generally help you yeah and i knew someone who was in a very dire situation she had lost her job and went into real estate and that didn't work and she was just a few weeks from being homeless seriously not a joke living in her car yeah and i had already sent her her resume to a number of people to circulate, which did nothing. But when I saw an emergency, I said, okay. I sent to six people in my network, personal favor, talked about her, said, this is a somebody I've worked with. She is really great. She deserves a great job. Mm-hmm. She needs help now. She can't wait to go through a lot of hiring stuff. What can you do? Yeah. So I, I used my clout to expend on a personal favor and in two weeks, she had an $80,000 a year job. Yep. So it's a matter of leveraging your network. It's really important. 
It is. And I think so many people go into networking with a just add water mentality that it's like, it's just going to instantaneously happen. Like I can just check Mm -hmm. the box. Like I connected with this person. Now I've got a growing network, but it's really, it's an activity. Like it is not easy to go from, it is, it's not easy to go from new connection to new relationship, right? right? You have to be able to get in there and build it and have those conversations and be active in their world. And when they post something, actually read it, you know, and have a comment yeah, right. and have a thought. Like this yeah. is an activity. It's not, magic's not going to happen. And if you can get on their Facebook fa- page, that's even better because then you have the personal connection. Yeah. So you're yeah. right there. Yeah. It's work, but it's worth it because it yeah. can pay off in the long run. Um, so people often apply for jobs in sports because it's cool, right? They just like the idea of working in sports. So our industry tends to be very competitive anyway. Then you layer in where we are now, where a lot of people have lost jobs, a lot of people are out there looking, the competition's raised up even higher. I've interviewed a lot of people in hiring lately. They're all like, man, I put out a job and I'm getting a lot of really good applicants. Not even worrying about the sports lens too much, just in general, how does someone stand out in this process and get hired in a, this really densely competitive environment? Well, you don't let your application look like everyone else's. And so don't count on some algorithm to find you and pass you along. One thing you do on LinkedIn is add people in the companies you're going to be applying to because when recruiters look at you and they see that you know people in the company, that pulls you up automatically. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Um, breaking through is a lot easier when you, you know, you have a story that is connecting you and and a reason to want to be there. So you write what's called a disruptive cover letter and you explain the story in that letter so that they say, okay, this is somebody who's really thought about why they want to work here. And then you don't send a five-page resume. You send enough that has the basics on it. And I talk about my, my book, What You Put On It. And so that they need to ask you more. So it's, it's about the story that you can bring that really is so helpful. Yeah, it's hard out there. And the more you can do to separate yeah. yourself and to stand out is, is, is really important. And that little extra 1% or 5%, it's funny. I was in a, a panel lately and somebody said they got their first, I've told this story before on the show, but they got their first job because on their cover letter, they talked about how they really liked falconry and, and that stood out to the person who was in hiring and they ended up getting them an interview and it worked out. And I'm, I would never have necessarily given that advice, but you know, sometimes that disruptiveness, something that stands out, something that's a little bit different can, can help cut you through the pack. And that could be tough. It, it, it is always better to risk making a bad impression than making no impression. Yes. Oh, I like that. And, That's good. You know, again, in back when I was a journalist, um, the competition was really fierce. And I would send cover letters knowing that they would see lots and lots and lots of letters and that they didn't really like reading all those cover letters. Mm-hmm. So, and I knew my audience, which was newspaper editors were very, you know, crusty, you know, just tough, foul language, all of it. So I just wrote, I know you're busy, so I'll skip the bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I offended anybody. I always heard, of course, it could be because I had really good clips. I'm hoping that, but I know that 
they looked at those clips specifically because I thought about what was going to relate to them. Now, yep. I am not telling anybody to put that on an application <laughs> unless you know that that's going to work. I realize that was very specific to uh, my industry and you what knew I your was market. doing. You knew your audience. Right. But it's figure out who these people are, study who you're writing. And again, it's really important to figure out who's actually going to be reading it. And sometimes that's hard. But if your network is placed inside that company, you can find out who's actually going to be filling the position. Yeah. For the record, too, that's four curse words. So you have room for one more at least. You can go at least one more. You, you saved yourself at least one more moment. <laughs> so, OK, you're a highly sought after public speaker. We can all see why. You've written nine books. You've been a Pulitzer, nominated for the Pulitzer Prize four times for investigative journalism. Your new book is awesome, coming back. Um, you speak a lot about leadership. And this is something that always fascinates me. I remember going from being an individual contributor where my job, I had certain tasks to do each day and I accomplished them and then I went home to then becoming the manager of people and getting a title as news director of, of Fox Sports Northwest and thinking, okay, I'm a leader now because the position says that I am, right? And it wasn't until I had made a lot of mistakes that I realized leadership is an action, not a position. Like you aren't just granted yeah. this thing. You right. aren't just like, you're a leader now, congratulations, because your title, your business card says so. So how do you teach people to be effective leaders? I know that's kind of a broad question, but really like, when does it start? How do you kind of get through to people so they start getting ready for that next phase of their career so oh. they're more prepared for it? But remember how the question, the genesis earlier was about my tough love approach. Mm -hmm. My book is tough love about us looking for jobs and, and owning the responsibility for my, our careers. But as a leader, remember I said that was that yeah. I, don't like working for jerks. Yeah. I, mean, I worked, this is not a cuss word, but I owe everything in my career to the biggest boss hole who ever walked the, the earth because he wanted to get in my way and he, want, he was so threatened by a strong woman and he did everything he could to derail me. And he literally said, you are all you'll ever be. You will never be more than a reporter. Mm. And it, you know, that wins nothing with me. Negativity wins nothing. Because I said so means nothing. But I've interviewed so many great leaders. And the one thing that I hear again and again and again is that it's the golden rule. Do unto others. You know, or you could say it's karma. Yeah. Or, or what is the best book on leadership ever written? How to win friends and influence people. Yeah. So how to treat, you know, it's like, what was it written in 1926? Yeah. And it is today as relevant as it was then. It is the best book I've ever read. I wish I had written it. God, what a great book. But Dale Carnegie had such a great mm -hmm. understanding on what motivates people. And what motivates people is kindness and an appreciation of who they are. And, and instead of forcing yourself on them go to their perspective because people come in wanting different things so there's that and then the other thing is that i use in a lot of my talks this slide that i made from i found on the internet this this kindergarten class or it might have been a second i think it was a second grade class mm -hmm. on citizenship you know don't push in front of other people, apologize when you're wrong. It was like listed everything yeah. on how to treat people. And we know these things. We know these things. So 
basically, if you want to be a good leader, be a good person. If you want to get into leadership, that's a different thing. And that is just believing that you belong there. Because truly, I now know a lot of, of people in influential leadership positions, and they are no better or worse than any of us. The only thing that separates them from us is that they had the guts to go for something. So if you're holding yourself back, don't do what you want. Don't think that there's going to be something so complicated. You're never going to get it and that you'll fail. You're going to win at that. Mm-hmm. You win at it. It's just go for it. It's so true. I know when I first got into more management type positions that I had this idea of, well, I'm the boss now, so I have to be the guy in charge, you know, and you have this kind of attitude. Right. And after a while you realize it's like, no, I'm still the same person. Like I have my job is to understand what will make every person under me be successful and set them up to get there, right? That's that's your entire job as a manager, if you ask me. It's understanding what your employees need to thrive and yeah. then putting them in positions to thrive. And I had people who were like, I wanted to, they wanted to be in the social center. They wanted to be in the newsroom and everything wanted to go around around them. But I had other people, if you put them there, they would have been like frustrated, had their hands over their ears all day, like just like maddening. And so it's your job to understand what makes everybody else tick, what makes everybody else succeed and then put them in those spots. And when I learned that finally, it was like, oh, all right, this isn't so complex. This is, this is doable, right? But isn't it weird when you, you look at them and, and they think different from you? And <laughs> it would like, be yeah. so easy if you just, when I was a newspaper editor, no, let's go back when I was a reporter. I was talking about my experience, but no, back when I was a reporter, I always figured if I got my stories in right on time or a little early, I got to go home on yeah. time or a little early. Yeah. When I became an editor, I had a lot of people who would start their stories when it was deadline. Yeah. You don't start your story at six o'clock. And yeah. me being the editor, I had to wait until they turned it in and it could be edited. And I would try to work on it, work on it. And I never could understand why people wouldn't want to go home early. But I guess people are different and you have to find a way to work with them in their reality. Yeah, it's true. Fawn, this has been amazing. I'm so happy we got a chance to talk. Uh, I can't wait to put another time going through your book, coming back. I think it's a fascinating read and I think there's a lot of great ideas that I picked up in there too. And uh, everybody in the audience should definitely read it, listen to it and, and listen to this episode, learn from you and uh and keep adapting right yeah it's uh i i hope i hear some from some people my website is fawngermer.com and that's is that going to be on your page or yeah oh yeah we'll put in the show notes g-e-r-m-e-r.com and you know sign up but stay in touch i love hearing from people and where can they get the book anywhere so oh, that's it's, good. It's on Amazon is on everywhere and, and that's good. It's an exciting time and it's, it's very fun to have a new book out and I love that, but it's out there. And as I, what, what's killing me about this is that I don't get to do book signings because yeah, you want to go do book signings and book tours I, and get like, out there. And yeah. It's like, I want to, and you know, the other thing that's killing me is I miss speaking so much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm doing the virtual thing. So if people have speaking opportunities, I'm, I'm still there doing it. But I miss that energy in the yeah. back and forth. So yeah. let's all get vaccinated. Well, hopefully quickly. we had, yeah, exactly. Get, go get vaccinated and we'll make yeah. this happen. But hopefully right. we had some good energy for, for you today. And thank you for being a part of it. It was my pleasure. 
Thank you to Fawn for coming on the show. I wanted to get somebody outside of sports. I wanted to have a unique perspective in this discussion. I wanted somebody with a broader lens on things, and she delivered. So thank you for listening. It was fun having her on. Totally different type of conversation, and she swears a lot, which, as I've said many times, I'm kind of down with, and it's always funny to hear coming out of a lady's voice. Um, (laughs) But really, great episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for subscribing and being a part of everything we do. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel. We're doing a lot of more unique content over there as well. In addition to the podcast, we're really trying to push the envelope with our content in 2021, and we want you all to be a part of it. So subscribe to this podcast, but also subscribe to that YouTube channel. Some unique stuff happening over there that you want to be a part of that will help you in your sports career. All right, that's it for today. Let's get back to work.